Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here, bringing you the news that's affecting Canadians from that leftist perspective. We are part of the Harbinger Podcast Network. If you haven't checked them out, make sure you do. They're getting new shows pretty much every week, and, and so many of them are absolutely phenomenal. I don't know about you, Christo, but I had a rough day with the pounds of snow that, that hammered Guelph and my snowblower wasn't working and I, I was falling down. It was a comedy of errors. And I thought to myself, you know what I could use right now? It is a very unsuccessful, some would even say evil premier coming to my door, helping dig me out early this morning. I did not get that, though. Doug Ford, if you don't know, spent uh, a large part of the morning driving around Etobicoke, seemingly looking for people to help so that he could get those photo ops. He he called in to the uh, 24-hour news station here at CP24. I don't know if you saw it, Christo, but he was... I did. I yeah, did, yeah, he had the camera. Yeah. He was doing the illegal thing. It was surreal, yeah. And I, they, they cut his uh, the visuals off after a little while, which I thought was pretty interesting. He was FaceTiming as he was driving, obviously very illegal here in the province. But uh, it's just, admittedly, it, it is a good thing that, that there is such a blowback to this. I don't think anyone saw Ford doing this and thought, you know, this is great. You know, what a great guy. Like, I do think he was mostly just broiled for, for being so absolutely transparent of trying to, you know, get a little bit of uh, political capital here because he's just failed so utterly during this pandemic. We talk about it every week. He's done admitted choices that have led to deaths of Canadians, perhaps solely for economic or political gain. A horrible, horrible dude. And for one of the first times, I think, since we started really monitoring this since we started our podcast. This is episode 40, by the way, folks. Very, very exciting. We got some polling numbers, didn't we, Christo? And it looks like Ford is being hurt for these horrible choices, at least a little bit, right? Yeah, well, that poll's like an interesting one. There's a a new poll out, uh, Polling Canada shared it, uh, that suggests that he is taking a bit of a dip and that basically it's now a uh, dead heat between them and the Ontario Liberals. But the data on this one, we should be a little careful with. One, there's only a sample of 428, which is very small for a, a, a province-wide poll. Uh, normally, polls in Canada are anywhere from one to 2,000 respondents. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a high level of volatility. Um, also, it should be noted that, uh, from, what I've, from what I've looked into, the polling uh, did not necessarily specify leader names or anything like that. So it should take, be taken with a grain of salt, but it does show that they may be in a position where, you know, the NDP is back in its traditional third place position, although with a notably higher support than it had before. The Ontario Liberals at 36 and the PC at 35. I'm not necessarily convinced given the polling, but a more significant poll just out from Angus Reid shows Ford as the second most unpopular premier in the country with a net approval of minus 37 who beat so him out who beat him out uh jason kenny okay. minus 47 uh and if we look at and and that you know that's that's how bad kenny is doing but he is 10 <laughs> points more unpopular um you know for for perspective houston who is a new premier 
uh, you know, he, you know, basically honeymoon period, he's plus 24, Lego plus 14, Horgan plus 13, Furry plus five. Every other premier is negative mm-hmm. right now. Uh, some of them quite significantly, like Blaine Higgs and whatnot, yeah. at minus 29. So Ford is very unpopular. I mean, look, I, I, look I, I'm sure some people are going to love what he did. Like the optics, like, you know, some people are going to like eat that up, yeah. right? But it's ridiculous, right? It's like, look, you're premier. That's not your job. You know, you have a health crisis. If not for this snowstorm, you'd be pumping kids back into the COVID pot today. There are right? things you Snow- can actually do to help us because you're the fucking premier. Yep. Like the cops are asking people in the city of Toronto not to go out and do the exact you thing just, you did. Yeah. It's yeah. wild. And of course, man. as you noted, clearly a crime to uh, be on a video chat. I know he wasn't primarily looking at it, blah, blah, blah. Clearly a crime. You're not supposed to have, you know, your video phone on while you're doing it. Should definitely get at least a ticket for that. Shouldn't be on the road. Mm -hmm. Like, just ridiculous, right? But, like, I think it's just, it's part of that politics that the Ford family has done extremely well. Yeah. Like, one thing you can say about the Fords is that they are fantastic, like, small-time politicians. Mm -hmm. Really good at, like, building those relationships, having, like, the Ford Fest, things like that, having these community events, being seen at the right spaces. So when you wonder, you know, why do they do so well among voters that aren't necessarily high income, that aren't necessarily elites... That, you know, that they represent as, you know, children of, you know, as a millionaire family that has all these deep connections in the political and business world. And the reason is that they, they do these sorts of things. Um, so do I expect this to make the difference? No, but I do think a lot of people are going to like what he did. And I no. don't think I don't think most people are going to be worried about the um, about the video chat thing. I think uh I think people are going to on balance be like, oh, there's our premier. And I know that fucking sucks, right? <laughs> Man, it but just, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. He I don't just think it's going to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. The mayor of Toronto so bad, you know, mm-hmm. like it's what he yep. always wanted to do. I remember yep. when he was handing out $20 bills at THC buildings because he ran out of Tim Hortons cards and he got rolled for that. Like he's just, these are a dynastic family that are from generations of millionaires that have a lot of like, it's everything that you love. They have the sons that are grifters. They have the daughters who are grifters. They have the anti-vaxxers born into the family. Like they're just, it's so funny how outwardly corrupt it all seems to be, but you got to hand it to him. He's still out there doing the Ford playbook that, must have had some success in some ways. But uh, yeah, let's go back to this polling just a sec here, Christo. So do you think there's any, you know, it is a little, I don't know, disconcerting a bit to see the NDP pushed back down when I don't think most people in the province could tell you who Stephen Del Duca is, you know, at least at this yeah. point in time. So I, is it just, you know, the the classic pathways that every Ontarian has? They're still afraid of Bob Ray. It's liberal no matter who it is, because I, I think the if we looked at you know, perhaps leadership polling, I, I don't think this would have the same result. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's a few factors here. It could be that, uh, you know, um, the liberals and conservatives are seen as the two main governing parties. So when one isn't governing, 
uh, a good chunk of people want the other to govern, and that could be the switch. It could be, to some degree, uh, federal polling sort of uh, contaminating, for lack of a better term, provincial polling, and that people don't do a good job of separating the two between elections. Um, you know, the NDP, I think, in some ways has failed to really capture the moment, mm-hmm. but that wouldn't necessarily explain why the liberals are rising in the polls, right? Like that, you know, it's one thing to suggest, for instance, that, um, you know, the uh, the NDP have failed to really get to the people their message of how they would do something differently, right? It's fair mm-hmm. to say. But, but Del Duca hasn't done that either. The liberals have utterly failed even harder. Their leader isn't very well known. Um, most polling has Del Duca as more unpopular. For example, one recent Legier poll from just before the new year um, had the NDP in second place with the Liberals in third, and also Horwath, the only one positive, although just plus two, uh, you know, which is a significant decline from where she was a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But Del Duca, uh, equally unpopular as Ford, at least in that December 2021 Legier poll. So there's no explanation for why the liberals are necessarily benefiting in my mind. I think it's just a lot of political inertia and a lot of voters may be saying to themselves, well, I'm going back to where I was 2018, Mm. you know, and the liberal party had more support. And it might be the case that those liberal voters that switched to the NDP are still with the liberals until the election. And then they're going to let the chips fall where they may. And, you know, there is a chance that you find yourself in a similar situation where the uh, NDP um, is able to kind of get some momentum early in the campaign and establish itself as the anti-Ford option. One factor also is fundraising, which is another sign that the Ontario Liberals, I don't think, are doing as well as a lot of people just assume they will. There's a whole bunch of disadvantages they have relative to, say, the, the 20... 15 Trudeau liberals because if you remember the situations are actually quite analogous right Mm -hmm. the liberals on on the face of it the liberals were governing they had governed for a decent amount of time um, or the the liberals uh, finished a a, a distant third uh, you know the conservatives win a majority government and four years later they come back and they win a majority themselves right Mm -hmm. Um, and the reality with Trudeau is that you know, he had a uh, party status. He was much more well-liked than um, than Del Duca. Oh, yeah. He was uh, much more well-known than Del Duca. And critically, the liberals' fundraising in that campaign and in the run-up to it was not dismal, right? It was mm-hmm. very good fundraising for the Liberal Party, um, which is, uh, one, something you need to run campaigns, and also, two, at least to some degree. It's, you know, it's not everything, of course, but it is some degree your 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 interest in your party people that give you money are especially motivated right yeah absolutely um and so what we've seen in some recent data is that the ontario liberals are still very much struggling with fundraising and that's a sign to me that like this this idea that it's a guarantee that they're going to be ready or they're they're going to have the ability to pull a 2015 justin trudeau it's just not necessarily the case right i mean the data we have, and look, the full transparency, this data in part was provided to me by the Ontario NDP. I'm on some of the lists where they want, you know, friendly people to share media. But the, the top, so, it, you know, if you look at it, the, 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 the fourth, 
I think, sorry, the 2021 numbers were 8.5 million for the PCs, um, 5.1 million for the Ontario NDP, and 1.8 million for the Ontario Liberals. Mm. So the NDP did about four times more than the Ontario Liberals. Now, you have to ignore the total donors and the average donation amount because the uh, uh, Elections Ontario will, will, will provide the party's total, but they won't uh, specify small donors. They only uh, track donors that give over a certain amount. So if mm-hmm. you do a donor, the donor database, you'll find my name, for instance, because I've given a certain amount to the NDP. If you've just given like 25 bucks to a party, then your name won't show up. Uh, and so the NDP provides that number. So the NDP here has like 127,000 donors. The Liberals only 8,300. That's not accurate. The Liberals have more donors than that. Um, and their average donation would be lower. But it's a sign that the Ontario Liberals are not uh, in a Justin Trudeau situation, which is where they were very competitive fundraising with both the NDP and the, and the Conservatives yeah. in that 2015 election, despite being a distant third. So far, the Ontario Liberals have not raised the money and have not captured the media interest that Justin Trudeau did. It's just, it's not the same. Yeah. And so, yeah, is it possible? Certainly. Certainly it's possible that the Liberals could win. Um, but it's just, I, I don't, it's not, the context is different. The mm-hmm. context is, real, is, is really different. But it, it's fair also to say that the Ontario NDP in many ways has failed to uh, put forward a coherent vision. And in some ways you might say they've, they've even failed to generate the media interest in their opposition to Ford, which, you know, one thing you could say about Mulcair, we've trashed that motherfucker a lot, right? But let's be real, um, is that like that guy made news every day, just like ripping Stephen Harper in Parliament, yeah, right? Uh, and so you know, did it pay off? Ultimately not. But he was seen fundamentally as a very effective leader of the opposition. And I don't know if Horwath is getting that, cr- and whether that's deserved or not, we can have that debate. Horwath has not gotten that same kudos mm-hmm. from the media and, I, and from the public. And I do think there is a fatigue, unfortunately, when dealing with this unique situation of the pandemic, because I remember uh, earlier this year when it was announced that Ford was going to enact this this new version of a lockdown. We're going to have a two week break and then schools need to come back because they forgot that maybe it needs to be safe and healthy for their children. And Horvath had a great statement. It was about an, an hour long in its in its totality, and it said a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of the people here would agree with, not just about the mistakes that Ford has made in the last several years that's led to more deaths during this pandemic, but the systemic issues that deal with our falling healthcare system and just the economic inequality that will ensure that certain people that make a certain amount of money that don't perhaps have the same access and aren't as able as others are more at risk that issue is heightened and she said all the right things but i i do think that it is a unique media moment where even if she was screaming louder and saying everything even more salaciously i don't know if it would necessarily break through because we're uniquely scared in some ways defiant in others i i don't see that happening in a big enough way, just like I don't think we saw that with Jagmeet federally, even though a lot of the stuff he was saying specific to the pandemic, I think a lot of the people listening would agree with. So now we're in this election cycle. Ford actually today 
uh, after he was shoveling, you know, some trucks out with a very tiny shovel. It was very strange. It looked almost like the Three Stooges, like it was the smallest shovel you could ever find. I think it was just in the driver's seat of his Escalade, and he was trying to help people. Like, it was just wild. He uh, then decided to talk about the election and said, of course, that it would be a mess And he blamed, which I love, and Christo, obviously you've heard this maybe more than anyone else, but Ford right now is blaming the mess that the other party left and that he's still trying to clean it up. And that's what we need to focus on. Not at all about any of the progress they've made during the pandemic. He's immediately on the defensive saying that he inherited this mess, not necessarily talking about these unique times and the dangers of it. Like it's just, it's nice in this, this time of uncertainty and, and fear in many cases about what the future may be. We know that Ford will do exactly the same yeah. thing that he's done almost every time I've heard him speak like politically, like it's, it's so wild. Yeah. I don't know if that'll find purchase. Uh, you know, I mean, it might, yeah, go right? Ahead. Don't forget context yeah, is might. different. <laughs> Harper tried to do some of that stuff a little bit as well, but the, 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 the problem was Justin Trudeau um, was never like, he wasn't elected until after the, the the previous liberal regime was out of power. Yeah. Justin Trudeau was not a rookie by 2015. He had been in parliament for a good amount of time, but he had never been a cabinet minister. He'd never even been a backbencher in a liberal government. He had always been in opposition. So you could really make the case that, yes, while he's the the, the, the dauphin, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the son of the, 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 the long dead king, the, the reality is, is that like he wasn't really connected to the previous regime. Um, and that liberal government had been out of power by 2015 for nearly a decade, been basically like eight, nine years. Right. I, yeah. you know, give or take a few months. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 the win liberals have only been out of power at, at this point, not even four full years yet. Really. Right. Wow. Like we're not even four <laughs> years out. Right. It's, 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 it's less than half the time. And so much more credibly, you can't both politically and maybe with some factual basis say that uh, many of the challenges we have are as a result of the previous regime, um, you know, because you haven't had 10 years. Mm-hmm. You've only had at this point three and a half years. Stephen Del Duca also was a uh, is has been a long time member or not, not super long, but has been a member of the provincial parliament since 2012. And um you know, did play a, you know, a, a role in the Wynn uh, administration. He was for, I believe, four years Minister of Transportation from 2014 to 2018 and was also Minister for Economic Growth and Development. Uh, not insignificant positions in, in Ontario, right? Yeah. And so the reality is this guy was a cabinet minister under Kathleen Wynne. I do think there's something to be said there. And look, I'm not going to defend Ford, but he's right in a sense that the previous government left a lot of messes. The Ontario Liberals undeniably left a mess with long-term care. I mean, QP, yeah. uh, you know, QP, um, you know, I think there was a really great press release from them in um, in 2018. Uh, right here, March, 20, March 20th, 2018, as we ran into that election, this is from QP, Canadian Union of Public Employees, who represent not all healthcare workers, they're represented by multiple unions, but represent many healthcare workers. Uh, Premier of Ontario killed vital long-term healthcare legislation 
for an empty throne speech. Seniors living in long-term care lost out on legislation that would have finally brought in vital minimum care standards because the Premier Win, the Premier Kathleen Wynne, decided it was more important to have a throne speech that did little than all, all, did little other than rehash old promises, said CUPE Ontario President Fred Hahn at Queen's Park. Today's speech was little more than a list of their top 10 hits, blah, 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 blah. And so you might make the case that, yes, indeed, many of the issues go back at least to Kathleen Wynne, if not Dalton McGinty and Ernie Eves and um, Mike Harris before that. You could argue that some of these things are, 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 are systematic. Nora Loretto, I believe, uh, Nora Loretto, and, uh, who's a, a, a guest of the show, and she hosts a Harbinger Network podcast, a network we're part of, but I think when she was on Canada Land with Jesse, uh, Jesse Brown noted that, you know, this is a generational thing. It's, it's, it goes even back to before we were born. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Canada in the 70s and 80s, like we had like three more beds per person in hospitals. Yeah. So whether we're talking about long-term care, we're talking about hospitals, ICU, like we were in a health crisis before COVID. And mm-hmm. that health crisis predates summer 2018. And so I think politically, it probably makes a bit of sense. Ford knows that he's not popular that his policies in general are not very popular, that if the polling is accurate, the, the, the liberals are his challenger right now in a lot of polls, and they get a leader that's at least anywhere from as unpopular to him to maybe best case scenario, you know, just slightly unpopular. So it makes sense to attack the previous regime uh, than, than run on your own record because you don't have one. But mm-hmm. criticizing the previous regime in this case is, is one of the more honest things Doug Ford has done. <laughs> well, I think we will uh, have to see. I, I love at this point always when uh, there's an election on the precipice, we're in election year. I love to wildly speculate. I haven't looked back and seen some of our speculations to see how correct or incorrect we've been. But I want to uh, make some bets, make some some polling suggestions right now. I'm thinking that this is an opportunity for so many people to vote liberal again because they can do anything but Ford and have that opportunity. They don't have to say that they're NDP. If Del Duca just gets a little bit of face time, if he can just come out there a little stronger, I'm thinking narrow victory liberals, unfortunately, for this year. I, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to maybe that's the more optimistic of my choices. I don't see the PCs coming out on top again. Like just with the the last couple of years we've had, I just, yeah. I just don't see it. I, especially by the margin, like maybe that's my more pessimistic, definitely not by the margin that it was in the previous election. It's very early. There's no way to have any concrete yeah. uh, feelings behind any of this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, Christo, what's yeah, I uh, mean, your shot I don't know. I think there is a real chance at a minority government. What I think could happen is that, and one thing we have to really look at is, especially if it's uh, blue, where do the liberals regain their support? Like yeah. one of the weaknesses of the NDP, especially in Ontario, is the weakness in the 905. Um, there is a chance that the liberals, uh, if they if they regain real strength in the 905, could could really eat into the conservative seat totals. There is also a chance, uh, if you look at some of these polling and you look at the seat projections, that you do end up in a situation where the conservatives, because of some of that vote efficiency in suburbia, um, you know, uh, edge out the liberals in seats, um, but not enough to win a majority. 
but in a clear position where the NDP plus the Liberals could form a government. And that's, I think, a, a real possibility mm. that if you look at the polling, most polls still have Doug Ford in a lead. And most of that data tends to show that unlike federally, for whatever reason, the Ontario PCs have a more efficient vote than the federal conservatives do. And so I think the most likely option right now, and again, part of this is going to be, um, you know, where are we with COVID in the summer? Yeah. If it looks like we're done and everything's heating up and people are having barbecues, look forward could maybe eke another one went out. But it's I think so the most week likely, by week. It's crazy. Yeah, of what is that the conservatives like. are still, I think, favored to win the most seats, but in a minority situation. And then the question becomes, does Del Duca, um, is he willing to form a coalition, uh, either a formal coalition or, or maybe more 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 plausibly do the what the bc ndp and the bc greens did which is to go to the ontario ndp and say in exchange for certain policy demands um will you back us as we'd get rid of ford uh, even though ford has more seats than we do and mm-hmm. I, and i i don't know what the liberals would do there i think the liberals would be almost never back the ndp as a minor partner because it would make their party extinct yeah. But they probably would go to the NDP to be a junior partner, and the NDP would be more likely to accept that given the, its historic role as a third party. So mm-hmm. there's a chance, I think, that you see Ford win a minority. But the question is, you know, do is he allowed to govern? And I mm-hmm. and I and I don't know. The liberals let like the liberals, for example, backed out of the coalition deal federally. Back, you know, Dion had it when they turfed Dion, they backed out, but. You know, I wonder how angry the liberal base would be at them if they had the opportunity to, um, you know, give Andrea what they want uh, a little bit and, and get rid of Ford. I think Del Duca might be forced into doing it. Yeah, the hate uh, so for I Ford think, uh, is so yeah. strong. I think like, just generally, especially with yeah. the liberals that want an opportunity that maybe, like we said before, voted NDP because they saw that as a real option. Now have permission, so to speak, to vote liberal again. That antipathy towards Ford, I think, is is real strong. So we could, you know, I I, I agree. I think that's a real possibility. If that doesn't happen. I don't know if we're seeing Andrea Horvath again. Like yeah. I, I do well, feel like she's done, had her she's Andrea's had her shot. Andrea's done unless she wins. Unless Andrea wins the wins the the election, which again is is, is certainly not impossible. There's there the, it's, it's the election's not done yet. The NDP, the Ontario NDP, their that fundraising was a non-election year record for the Ontario NDP. Like you know, there are signs that while the polling isn't exactly where you'd want it to be. Parties that break fundraising records are generally not at least done and dusted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one thing should be noted. Now, this hasn't been updated in a little bit, uh, but the 338 Canada uh, late last year did uh, projects was projecting um, 64 seats for the Conservatives, 30 for the NDP, and 29 for the Ontario Liberals, based on certain vote efficiencies. But if we operate under the assumption that that poll is more accurate, that 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 one that has the Liberals in in first place, you might argue that the NDP and the Liberals, with the Liberals as an advantage, may end up equaling somewhere about five or six seats more than the Progressive Conservatives. And this also projects uh, Schreiner holding on to his to his his mm. the one Green Party seat. So if they, they, they would have under this projection 70 seats total or, or uh, uh, for for the other for the um, the other parties yeah and um, yeah 
we're we're still in a situation here where um the end there is a chance that you could see some co- kind of coalition. Yeah. But if we're having um, barbecues that, and if we can, you know, go yeah. to concerts and if movie theaters are back open, you know, if he can uh, go to the major sporting events here in Toronto, there's, I, I think, a very good likelihood that it'll just be Ford did a great job. We need to make sure he's still here to continue this, despite the ongoing mistakes that lead to deaths that are not 100% his fault, but are absolutely still his fucking fault. So we'll always watch this. We'll see what happens. Um, We did get some good news. Let's go to the federal politics for a little bit. There was some good news from the NDP. Chugmeet, leader of the NDP, had his beautiful baby since the last time we had our uh, last show. So that is exciting. He got that news. And then also some polling numbers that show the NDP is doing great. So we got some great, (laughs) two great uh, little pieces of news. What's uh, let's start with the the polling or anything else about the baby. It's a cute baby, right? Yeah, the baby's cute. Baby's healthy. Uh, You know, it's mostly a personal thing. Jugmeet is uh, a lot of cute pictures if you go on uh, his social media. So do check that out. Um, yeah, it's a gorgeous family. Yeah, the it's polling's kind of been good. I mean, like again, the polling's always frustrating, right? Because it's mm. like, you know that, like, where was this on election day? Well, recent um, federal poll uh, has the NDP, you know, uh, up into the 20s again. But the new uh, 338 projection has the NDP winning, uh, abo- uh, netting 13-plus seats. Oof, the geez. Liberals down 10, the Conservatives down 2, and the Bloc down 1. That is the new model just uh, just as of a couple hours ago. And of course, as usual, Jugmeet Singh is the only uh, only federal leader that Canadians don't hate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is from Abacus uh, five days ago. O'Toole minus 25. Holy shit. Right? Like, uh, people, people hate him. There was, and there was a piece of data that even among Doug Ford supporters, a significant minority of Doug Ford supporters do not like Aaron O'Toole. And yeah. so that means that, it, like, you know, it, that that's 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 quite bad, right? Like, you, you'd think that, you know, you'd find a lot of support around, you know, as a conservative leader from supporters of a uh, conservative provincial He's, premier. He is trying to do, like, I, I think at least, a, a Ford pantomime that he just doesn't seem to have legitimacy in at all. Like, we've seen, I don't know if you've seen it, but some of his ads, when he's talking about, you know, the changes to the middle class, what we really need, like... It, Ford, kudos to him, even though he's completely disingenuous about it, he does have this gravitas locally yeah. of this local politician that anytime you hear O'Toole, like it's not maybe not as bad as Sheer. Like I think that was uniquely hilarious when he yeah, tried to speak to those Sheer issues. Ever got quite this unpopular, right? And the thing yeah. about this is that he's he's not as unpopular as Ford in that recent poll, but he's also not governing, right? Yeah. Like you're minus twenty-five. You've only run in one election and you haven't governed yet, right? <laughs> so it's like, just right? they don't like, like you. It's just yeah. they don't like you. <laughs> like, cause, you know, in like Trudeau is minus two in this poll. That's actually pretty decent for Trudeau re- relative to, I don't know if it's because everyone's hating their premiers. Blanchet is plus 14, but that's Quebec only. Mm. And Singh is plus 17 in, in this, in this, uh, in that poll. So, um, you know, the reality is that like, yeah, he's he's uh, he's ex- extremely unpopular. <laughs> uh, and also, we had a, a sad story with Alexa McDonough passing. Yes. For those who don't know, she was the uh, 
first woman to lead a ma- oh, the the fucking uh, well actually um liberals on 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 Twitter just fucking infuriating me because they were like well actually isn't it Alexa McDonough uh, or uh, 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 sorry uh you know uh, is it, well isn't it Audrey McLaughlin who led the provincial uh, the federal party before she did but the reality is uh, there have been lots of women that have led political bodies the first political party leader most people say is Therese Cascrain who led the Ontario or the Quebec CCF called the, the the Social Democratic Party Parti Social Democratique but they've basically they never won anything and barely uh, barely contested you know a significant amount of the ridings but she was the leader of the um uh, Alexa McDonough was the leader of the Nova Scotia NDP in the 1980s uh and you know was you know a party that consistently uh hold seats and all of those sorts of things mm-hmm. and so um she was a trailblazer, also became the uh, the, the second woman to lead a federal uh, uh, NDP. Um, and uh, she was a social worker and an activist. And a lot of people are very sad that she passed away. Yeah. Um, you know, we can look at everyone trying to, like, score points about Jugmeet not properly putting her political position when he was objectively correct in what he said. But the... Um, but no, uh, she was uh, incredibly important yeah. uh, to the development of the party uh, and uh, led the party during some tough years, right? Like the, the, the mid-90s for the federal NDP, I mean, those were rough years. The party lost party status in, mm-hmm. in the 90s, right? And it was actually under, I believe, under her leadership that the party did regain party status, I believe, in um, the... Uh, the 2000 federal election, I believe they re- did regain uh, party status in the, uh, uh, or in, in the 95 election, she was able to like regain it. So the reality is that, um, you know, she played a big role. So we'll mm-hmm. miss Alexa. There you go. Important to look at. And just reading some of the stories about uh, her history, the stories when she first, you know, came into power uh, locally they didn't even have at uh, that location of government a women's bathroom because it was such yeah. a boys club. Like, that's yeah. absolutely hilarious. And she's just passed away, unfortunately, and kind of untimely, you know, at a, a relatively young age of 77 now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the president of the United States is 80, right? <laughs> so, yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. president of the United yeah. States is 80. Like, yeah. So, not, 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 not an especially young woman, but, you know, certainly somebody who uh, was yeah. taken by Alzheimer's probably well before. They, you know, they, they could have lived many more years uh, if not for that. But no, you're right. And, and there, there are lots of stories of that. I mean, if you look federally, um, when Agnes McPhail, who was elected as the, uh, the one of the, the first women elected to parliament uh, back in the, the late, 19, uh, late 1910s, early 1920s, she was, uh, it was a similar situation where basically all the rules were written under the assumption that no woman would sit in parliament. Everything from mm-hmm. washrooms to dress codes to things like that. Uh, and so, yeah, it's crazy. You think 60 years after that, they were still dealing with that, at least in some provinces. It's, it, yeah. it really is quite... It's quite not that long. Like, that's the thing no. that I think we're kind of losing a little bit because also recording this Martin Luther King Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and the idea of the... There seems to be this narrative that these things happened so long ago that they're ancient history when it is times that many people are still absolutely alive for and cogent and experienced and, you know, went through just because some of the photographs are, you know, in sepia or or maybe even black and white doesn't necessarily mean that it, it wasn't 
current enough that it's still affecting the consciousness of so many different Canadians and Americans. So I, I think that's uh, interesting to look back just a little bit here. Anything else you want to talk about the federal polling number beyond the fact that it is like, I don't know, we talk about this all the time. People yeah. like Jagmeet, they want to vote and be a part of his ideas, even if you and I think that clearly those ideas don't go far enough for actually helping Canadians in uh, the situation we're in. Some do, but many of them don't. But I think there's this glut of Canadians that would absolutely vote for Jugmeat. He's charismatic. He's had a little bit of the, uh, I think we talked about this during the federal election, that perhaps he would come out in the next election in the coming years as more of that, not elder statesman, but a statesman that's that's gone through it a little bit. And I, I think that's happening here. I, I really think there's getting some some sheen on uh, this leader and and what he represents uh, for the party here. You know, where there's not as loud screaming that we saw previously. Like we're still missing a lot of the things that we need here as Canadians, but. It's it's a little depressing when people are asked that they definitely vote for him, for his ideas. But for some reason, when elections come, they just they can't go under that line. It has to be the two party system. It just it's I don't know. We, we, we talked about some different ways to break through it. It's just sometimes disappointing when you're reminded of it almost every fucking time you look at polling numbers. eh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, and, and also, it, to be fair, like, and look, that doesn't mean that the polls aren't accurate. Yeah, uh, because you're still getting, uh, you know, a similar amount of respondents. But you know, people aren't paying attention to federal politics right now. Omicron yeah. is hitting. Uh, you know, technically, it's a minority parliament. We could have an election at any time, but it's just really unlikely. No party wants an election right now. Um, you know, and and the the liberals where they are again. Given that it, it, we're still in a situation where you would need the three the three opposition parties to all simultaneously unite uh, to take him down, it's just it's not happening at this moment. So mm-hmm. I think that people are focusing more on uh, surviving their day to day life from COVID or snowmageddon or what have you, um, and also just you know this is a big year for provincial elections, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this year we got municipal elections. Uh, Provincially and in Quebec here here in Ontario and Quebec, we also have a fed a provincial election in Ontario, a provincial election in Quebec. You know these are these are massive elections, um, and I think most people, insofar as they're going to pay attention, will pay attention uh, to um, those those races more than federal. Yeah. Uh, we're just it federal's not on the radar right now. And speaking of Quebec, we have a, a little bit more time here. We're going to finish a, a little bit earlier this week. It's been a, a very long day and a very busy week. But this dropped actually just as we finished recording, I think, the very next day. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, last Tuesday, Quebec announced a proposal of essentially an anti-vax tax, noting that a levy would be applied to those that don't have a medical exemption and could be executed in the next several weeks. Yesterday, it looked like, you know, this isn't going to be pushed da- pushed away by the feds. It looks like it's going to go through. There's some st- a stipulation on how much that tax would be. The premier was upset at the notion of 50 or even $100. Like, he clearly wants it to be something a little more significant. Uh, Trudeau has weighed in. 
and kind of said that it is, you know, their jurisdiction in some ways, but did note that incentives and strong measures have worked in the fight against COVID-19. So I don't know if that's him kind of giving a wink saying like, you know, maybe you can do this or suggesting, you know, the federal government's already done enough. You don't need to do this. But uh, yeah, I think it's a very interesting issue when dealing with Omicron, which is so virulent and still so deadly to those among us who have not been vaccinated, you know, almost a year, at least a year since they've been uh, the first shots have been wildly available here in Canada at the very least. You know, where we I think we touched on this a little bit, Christo. We've never really dove in head first. You know, what, what's your thought on the implementation of a tax in this way of kind of like that's how it's mandating and making it uh, so you can't have exceptions. And, you know, is it just is this something that's just one of those weird Quebec things that just absolutely works in Quebec? Or do you think this could have success, you know, Canada wide? I don't know if this would be politically palatable many other places. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think. Quebec, you know, they've had, you know, curfews and whatnot. And again, Legault is extremely popular. We have to remember that. Uh, even though his his approval ratings are the same as, say, John Horgan's, uh, if you look at the polling, his party is on pace for a smashing majority government, like just a, a gargantuan one. Um, you know, so maybe he thinks to himself, uh, I can I can do what I want, or maybe he has a good sense of what Quebecers, or maybe he feels this is the right thing to do, knows he'll take a hit, but, you know, maybe he has a buffer to play with. Uh, my view is that I don't like the way this is being done. I support a vaccine mandate. Like, look, I'm not a public policy expert, so for me, I don't know how I would do it. I don't know if I would say, you know, for instance, say, you know, COVID vaccine mandatory to go to school, once, you know, children are eligible at their age, I don't know if I would make it that to enter any public building, you would need to get a COVID vaccine. Um, but the idea of a tax on health for this is wrong, I think. Mm -hmm. I think, again, and, and maybe this sounds nonsensical to me, but I would be fine if Legault said you are not allowed to enter a doctor's office or a hospital in this province unless you are vaccinated. I would be fine with Ooh, that. Jeez, Christo. I would not be fine with we will tax you more. Mm -hmm. Because I think the former is a matter of public safety. The other is a slippery slope where you are denying people access to health care. One, based on an ability to pay. Mm -hmm. And two, you are taxing people, uh, you know, which uh, is all an additional creeping aspect of privatization and of like the loss of universal single payer healthcare, and I know we don't have that in Canada. We have, I, you know, I like in Quebec they have pharmacare somewhat, but you know, here in Ontario we don't have pharmacare, we don't have eye care, we don't have dental care. There's already so many ways that you get nickeled and dimed in our supposedly, you know, free uh, at the point of access healthcare system. But um, to tax it, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, uh, certainly. But you not do in like the mandate, yeah. though. You do. You do I mean, support I'm, a mandate. Yeah. I mean, look, man, uh, at some point you got to, you know, you got to do what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know if you can, it's tough, right? Because I, I do support a mandate and look, we have effective mandates where like, if you want to go to public school, you got to get all these vaccines. The trickiness with COVID is that, you know, COVID didn't just infect people 
uh, at the age of five, and then we can just roll it into the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Now you have a bunch of adults, and like there's no choke point, for lack of a better term, like <laughs> universal, like public schools. And yeah. you know, kids could go to private school or be homeschooled or get special exemptions in a minority of cases. But effectively, you were able to build vaccine unanimity by the school system. You know, mm-hmm. you want to go to school or daycare or whatever, you got to have proof of vaccination. Right? Yeah, I, I, it's very interesting because I, I have heard, I, I again, we have mentioned. So I don't know how you do this as an adult, right? Like, yeah. uh, wh- wh- where's the equivalent? I don't know what the equivalent is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, you could have a bunch of partial equivalents. Uh, you want a passport, you got to get vaccinated. Yeah. You already have some of these things. Like I'm guessing, you know, most countries are not going to let people in if they don't vaccinate, right? Like you're, you know, you're not going to be able to travel to a lot of countries in the world unless you're, you're, you're vaccinated or have some proof of antibody. I don't know how countries are going to do it. Right. But like, you know, the reality is like, we need to, to, uh, on the left, we sometimes recognize sometimes, not always that the, the, the individualism is a goddamn scourge. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Agreed. you need a bit of collectivism. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the collectivism, sometimes maybe imposes on the individual. Yeah. Right? And I know that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. And maybe one of the times where it should impose on the individual is when they don't get fucking vaccinated and they kill people. And again, this isn't me being like, oh, we gotta, it's the anti-vaxxers fault and only their fault that we're at this point in COVID. Because again, if the CERB was stronger and the CERB went out longer and all of these things and the government was better at PPE distribution and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. We went uh, over that. Yeah, no yeah, one's yeah. going to think but that. The this reality, is just yeah, mandates But the reality, yeah. I, I, I support a mandate, but I don't support a, an additional tax on public health care. So and figure I, out another way. to. But, but again, <laughs> I don't know how to do it because yeah. this is probably so, an efficient way to do it, right? Because if you... If, I mean, one way you could do it, and this wouldn't be a mandate, one, you could give people a tax cut. You could give people the, yeah. the carrot. Everybody gets a $100 tax rebate, but they've tried things like that. They've tried vaccine lotteries and things like that in, in various jurisdictions, and they haven't made significant differences, mm-hmm. right? Like, you need, to, you need to find a way to get people vaccinated. Um, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. no, I, I think my biggest worry with with any sort of mandates when it comes to vaccines of this nature that required like the idea that perhaps it would be a requirement to enter certain public spaces that it might be required uh to access uh certain services it's not the idea of infringing on individual rights i think you you said it pretty clearly and succinctly there if you're listening to this show i i think it's important that we emphasize the collective and not what rampant individualism has done to our world, planet, and the psyche of billions of people. But the idea that these forces, that the Ontario government, that the federal government, would have another means to inflict control, not against one's individual freedoms, but to ensure that certain subsets of the population that have always been victimized will still be victimized more because there's no logical reason why they wouldn't if there was a force that was enforcing any of these mandates in 
any sort of way, I, I I have a hard time seeing how this wouldn't fall, unfortunately, on the you know prejudices that we always see by those in power to those who perhaps not perhaps that absolutely don't deserve it. So it's it's not yeah. necessarily about yeah, protecting no, right. the individual's liberty, because I think the people who are saying that are hurting themselves. But I, I don't know how you enforce this mandate without ensuring that those who yeah. are enforcing it don't have the power to, you know, victimize indigenous populations, which is yeah. our greatest shame that continues to happen. Yeah. You know, black and brown populations, just general uh, poor people that don't yeah. have access to this. The tax still hurts them in that way. Not accessing certain public facilities would like I, I, I don't know about a mandate for that reason. I wish that these choices were made immediately. I think if this happened when we were first introduced to the notion of vaccines, it wouldn't have gotten to the point it is now where, unfortunately, there are political lines, not as much here in Canada as there is in America. But there are absolutely political statements being made about whether or not you get a medical procedure that protects you and others. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that's the reality. So I, I, I don't know how we enforce this mandate. Honestly, it's an interesting question. I wonder if y'all are listening where where you guys find yourself. If if you are faced with this choice, you know, where do you see the line and where do you think it has to be? Do you agree with what Legault is doing here? Uh, not here, but yeah, in Quebec, do you, do you think that there is a way to do this that doesn't, you know, victimize or do you really believe? And I think there are those on the left that do that the importance of individual freedom in order to provide, you know, a, a basis of collectivism shouldn't. I don't know. There's a lot of different people that think that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, we'd love to hear it. So patreon.com slash left turn Canada. Just hit us up on, on Twitter with that left turn Canada. We'll definitely revisit this next week. Anything else, uh, Christo? We're going to be finishing a little early this week. Uh, yeah. Anything else about this before we head out? Have fun shoveling, everybody. 